Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. Well, today being the first Sunday in Advent, I thought I'd tr- we'd try something a little new just to get us, you know, Advent, this time of hope, joy, peace, this coming together, God uniting all people uh, under the banner of His Son, Jesus. And so I thought, let's use the tables a little more. So, well, um, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we are going to be in this passage, this brief passage here of Matthew 24. 36 through 44. Now, when I'm uh, undisciplined, which, well, I, I can be a procrastinator, and my wife is likely attempting to hold back a little bit of laughter there, because that is often the case for me. Uh, I often submitted my papers in college quite close to the deadline. Anyone else relate? No? Okay, yes, yeah. Pretty close to the deadline. It, it was uh, God's grace in my life was evident when I turned in a paper more than an hour before its deadline, um, even to this day in grad school. So personality tests tend to attribute this to my perfectionism, an an attribute that can be both a blessing and a curse uh, for those who bear this attribute. Now, this looks like, you know, some people think it's like, you're just OCD, you're ridiculous. Now, the, the thought behind it, if I cannot complete something up to my standard, the way I think it needs to be, uh, I will not begin the task. I'm not one to write a paper all throughout the semester. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crank it out in a couple days because I want to get it done in that time. I don't like to let it stew too much on paper. doesn't mean I'm not thinking it through throughout the, the week's and months of the semester. But that's kind of how my mind works and my actions work in a lot of things. I'm guessing maybe 10% of us in this room relate in some regard to that, being type A, or if you're familiar with the Enneagram, you're an Enneagram one. Uh, This trait manifested for me at a reasonably young age. I can vividly recall when my parents would go to work, uh, especially on like summer vacation, and, or winter break or anything like that, or my school growing up, uh, we had every fourth month off. We were on year-round, so C-Track, uh, you know, we had December off. We had from Thanksgiving to mid-January off, and then we had uh, April off, and then we had every August off. It was beautiful. I, I loved it. Um, but because of that, when my mom started working again, um, we would often be left with a lot of chores. And so what would I do? Sure. I could start off the morning, complete that list of chores, have the rest of the day, Sarah knows, yeah, have the rest of the day to just like, I'm free now, I'm done. Did adolescent and teenage Tyler do that? No. (laughs) And um, how simple that sounded, and that sounds just to put it that way. More often than not, I waited as long as I could to do my chores, sometimes often to my dismay. It, especially when, like, it, it seemed to always happen that as soon as I wait till, like, the end of the day to do it, all my friends are, like, 
deciding to do something at that time. And then it's like, well, mom, why can't I go? It's like, you should have done your chores. And then I blame my mom, like, she's not letting me go. And it's like, well, you had like 10 hours to do your chores. This is your fault. But anyways, always pointing outwards. So in this morning's passage, we see Jesus tell his disciples to be ready, to keep awake for his return. Similar to how I often was not ready for my parents' arrival, uh, the church is being posed with this scenario of whether or not we will be ready for Christ's return. He tells them he will return, but he doesn't know when. What matters is not when or how he is returning. Instead, what matters is that he is returning and that they are to keep awake and to be ready. So, today's the first Sunday of Advent, uh, and this is also the first Sunday of the liturgical year, the church, the Christian year, the global Catholic year. Catholic simply means universal, not Roman Catholic, the, the Catholic church at large. This is the beginning of the Christian New Year. We start with Advent. We start with the anticipation towards Jesus' coming as a baby, but we also look forward to Jesus' return. We don't keep it just about the baby. Now, Advent simply means coming or arrival. So as this is the season of Advent, we celebrate both the coming or arrival of Jesus, God, with us. In Bobby Gross's book, Living the Christian Year, he states that the point of living the Christian year is both to remember, look back, and to anticipate, look forward. So we remember who God is, who God has made us to be, how we chose to be someone else, believing in a better, a different way of life that we thought was better. We remember that God has covenanted with us and what He's promised. We remember how though we have been faithless, God has been faithful. How God has made a way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it starts right here in the coming weeks with the incarnation of, of Jesus in a baby. We remember that the enemy, death, and evil has been defeated and disarmed of their powers over our salvation. We remember that the kingdom of God is here and manifesting in our midst as the days progress. But similarly, just as we're invited to remember all that God has done, we are, remind, are we invited to anticipate what he will continue to do. So to anticipate Jesus' return, the restoration of all creation, that there will be no more tears or death or war or cancer or mass shootings, that the final consummation that completes the transformation of reality, that the kingdom of God will be fully established here on earth to anticipate God being united with all of creation unveiled. So we are encouraged in this season to remember and anticipate. In both remembering and anticipating, hope of the future resurrection and restoration of all creation invigorates, it, it inputs Res resurrection life into our lives today. That is the opportunity for us. This future hope has present-day implications. It isn't something just for dead Tyler on the other side of my last breath. It is something very real and impactful for here and now. Eugene Peterson, a pastor, wrote about our hope in the future coming into the present. He says, I finally got it. 
End time influences present, ordinary time. Not by diminishing or denigrating it, but by charging it, filling it with purpose and significance. The end time is not a future we wait for, but the gift of the fullness of time we receive in adoration and obedience as it flows into the present. It's something to be experienced here and now. Similarly, in that Bobby Gross book I I referenced, he writes of Advent, it's a season for waiting. We wait for the coming of God. We need Him to come. Our world's messed up, and we are too. We lament our social condition and long for God to set things right to make us better, so we pray and we watch for signs of His presence. We do all we know to do so, that we are open and ready. In the midst of hardship and disappointment, we continue to wait. We wait in hope. We believe that something is happening in our world. Something is taking shape in our lives. Something large, light-filled, and life-giving. Even in December's lengthening darkness, this seed of joyful hope grows within us. We are pregnant with it. In our waiting, we are enlarged. God is coming. And so today, being the first Sunday of Advent, This theme on the first Sunday traditionally is hope. In our passage this morning, Jesus is going to encourage us, his disciples and thus us, with two imperatives, to keep awake and to be ready. Uh, To preface, though, when, when reading the scriptures, and in particular, even narratives such as these, like Matthew or like the Pentateuch or any historical books, quote unquote, where there really aren't any straight historical books in the scriptures. They, they have history, but they're not all verbatim history. We have to ask what sections are to be taken literal and what are figurative. Jesus here is speaking in an apocalyptic manner, meaning this is not verbatim going to happen as this way. This is allegory. Just like in parables, when Jesus is telling a parable, that is not a literal thing. That is a metaphorical Story. It's a heavenly story with an earthly implication, as one scholar uh, described parables. And so when we look at apocalyptic literature, some take it and say, this is exactly how it's going to be. There's going to be this, 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 this. This is allegory. And this is Jesus' send-off in Matthew's Gospel, at least. Some of these teachings are not at the end of Jesus' life in some of the other Gospels. Some of them are earlier. You may ask why. Again, I'm going to recommend that seven things Christians should know about the Bible, book outside in the lobby, why some gospel writers record some of his teachings at the end of his life and some towards the beginning of his ministry. But in Matthew's narrative approach to this, these are the the charges that he is leaving with God's people before he goes to the cross and before he ascends and leaves them with the Great Commission. Let's take a look at the passage. Let's start in verse 37. So, verse 37, or sorry, verse 36. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as those days of Noah were, as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The question we're asking is: how are the days to come? like those of the days of Noah then. Keep going in verse 38. For as in those days of Noah, 
Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. This is essentially him saying, uh, Jesus saying, normal stuff was happening. This was ordinary life. Nothing was out of the norm. There, there wasn't really like a, a meteor or some sort of sign where they saw something in their toast on a morning or like some sort of number or they got a feeling or a vibe. No, no, no. This is just Jesus saying ordinary life was happening. They were living their normal life, and then, and then it came. It was not noticeable, the coming. Keep going. In verse 39, And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. This taken, uh, and I think you guys picked up on something here a little bit. Some, in particular, if you're of a, of a rapture theology, uh, which is a newer theology of the last about uh, two centuries, it's not something that historically the church has believed in, would t- tend to think of this, the taking away is the Christian. But actually, the way they would read this is being taken away is you're taken away to judgment. Those that are left are God's people. So you actually did pick up on something. Well done. Um, the taken away is those being taken away to judgment. It's not the ones left that are uh, in trouble. No, the ones that are left are the ones that are left to continue to dwell in God's creation. He keeps going. Oh, this is technically the opposite of a lot of that uh, modern theology that, that comes out of the West. Um, keep, verse 42, he says, Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Now the charge there, Jesus gives the two imperatives, right? He says, keep awake, and now he says, be ready. This be ready, we may take of it as like, man, we've got to really do our, we've got to get geared up, we've got to get training, we've got to go to Bible boot camp. You know what I mean? And, and this isn't meant to be a burden, but an invitation to join in the work. There is meant to be hope here, even though it's a little tricky to see and decipher. Be ready. Be invited. Participate in. This isn't a last-minute turn. Notice that there isn't like a, the thief comes or the person returns, and it's like, hey, do you want, I'm going to give you one more chance. No, no, no. It's like, this is it. It's done. I show up. It's over. This is a life of readiness. This isn't a last-minute, I'm going to mail in my life. I'm going to do what I want for the remainder of my life because I'm young and I can do it. And then when I'm getting older, then I'll finally decide, okay, maybe I should take this Jesus guy seriously. No, no, no. This is your entire life of readiness, of building your life around the way of Jesus and his kingdom. Now, you may be asking, just like I often do when I, when I come to this Sunday, every year it, it kind of strikes me, why is this passage at the beginning of Advent? This is the end of the earthly man Jesus' life, Why is this the first Sunday of Advent? It's an odd passage, right? What does this have to do with Christmas, with baby Jesus? Jesus is already in his, likely his 30s here, right? 
So what does this have to do with Jesus? Stanley Saunders writes, the inclusion of this passage reminds us that Jesus' call to watch for the coming of the Messiah is not merely an Advent practice, but the normative state of readiness required of disciples. The term that has been used, or the, the, the phrases that have been being watchful, being waiting. We are on watch for God and His kingdom, His presence amongst us. This is not meant to be something just retroactive, but an active thing that we are seeing God amongst us. Now, what's the greater context of this passage? 24 and 25, these, these two chapters in Matthew, if you're unfamiliar, uh, in, in the biography of Jesus' life, according to Matthew, Matthew sets up these teachings, this final set of teachings in 24 and 25 of Jesus. And in these two chapters, Jesus is responding. If you look at chapter 24, verse 3, he's responding to his disciples' question in verse 3, where they say, tell us, when will this be? They're referring to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But then they also ask, and what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And like Jesus, in his normal fashion, he goes on this two-chapter, just pretty somewhat veiled response where there's parables, there's allegory, there's, there's apocalyptic language. And he even owns, and that's where we get to our passage, right? That there are some things that we just won't know. But he goes on to warn of false teachers. If you look at the next section in chapter 24, he warns of premature expectations, a crisis that would come in the city of Judea, a crisis in their own generation, and then what's called the perusia, the unexpected presence or coming of God. That's, that's the term that is utilized, but uh, essentially the coming of the Son of Man. And then he gives the parable of the talents. If you're unfamiliar with that, we don't have time going there, but that's in chapter 25. And then there is the final judgment of the nations, where, where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And if you're unfamiliar with that, it's a pretty harsh and sometimes scary passage where it's, there are people who think they are sheep and they don't realize till the end that they're goats. And there are people who thought they didn't know Jesus and turns out they're sheep. All because of the way they loved the least of these amongst them. But this perusia in our passage, this coming, this presence of Jesus, of God amongst us, is what Jesus is talking about in our section this morning. And that is what Advent introduces us to. We get a, a taste of that in the incarnation of Jesus. That's the remember. But then the anticipate is the fullness of that presence being amongst us, that unfiltered, unadulterated presence of God that is to come. That's what they're asking about. That's what Jesus is responding to. And so Jesus warns of false teachers just before our section that would lead people astray. Uh, he states that no one will actually know the timing of his return. How many of us have heard many people speculate of the timing of the return of God? Anyone? Yeah, you got a few. We got a few. It's a big deal. It's something that is not modern. Uh, it's been going on for a while. But even if we take a look at the last half century, um, but why? Why does Jesus offer warnings and encourage the church 
to not get caught up with the timing of his return. Why do, you, why do we think that? I think because it's easy to fall victim to these pitfalls and these endeavors where we get caught up in the when, but not the so what. We're getting caught up in secondary issues that really don't affect our call to follow Jesus here and now. But in the last half century alone, there have been countless predictions of the end times. Um, and let's just look at American Christians in particular, but, the, but there's a lot if you do a Google search. It happens all the time, and it even happens outside of Christendom, right? 2020 had a thing, 2012 had a thing. But in the 70s, there's a gentleman named, a gentleman named Hal Lindsey. His book, The Late Great Planet Earth, sold 28 million copies. He predicted the end would be in the 80s. Uh, this is of a Christian framework. He had some sort of framework where it had to do with something of 7,000 years removed from the, from the flood of Noah, which there's, there's so many potential issues there. Um, turns out he was wrong, right? Because we're still here. Um, uh, in the 90s, if we're familiar, the Left Behind series sold over 80 million copies. Uh, and it went into two different movies. We got one washed-up actor, uh, and the Growing Pains actor, and then, and then we decided, let's get a bigger one, and we got Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> and Chad Michael Murray, if you're a kid of my age, you would know him from One Tree Hill, another guy who didn't get in anything else aside from that show. Um, but we made these movies, and uh, we made these books, and in here you kind of get these end times tropes from the book of Revelation. In 2022 alone, uh, these are just some of the big ones. Look at how scary these look. Don't these look like, oh my gosh, you get a sense of like, oh no, right? We've got global reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? Is the end near after the rapture an end time guide to survival? The world of end, the return of the gods, foreshadows, 12 mega clues. I love when you invent a word, mega clues is one word, uh, that Jesus' return is nearer than ever. Big trouble ahead, where are the missing people, the sudden disappearance of millions, and what happens next? And armed for victory, prayer strategies that unlock the end-time armory of God. Do you see the relevance of this morning's passage for the church in America? The church in America is terrified. Terrified. It's fascinating because the church, in particular in the COVID situation, was like, faith over fear. We are afraid. We don't have faith. We are so afraid of something that Jesus says we don't know when it's going to happen. And guess what? That doesn't even matter. What matters is I'm king, and you're called to be my people now. But man, we are afraid. This is terrifying. And we still have another month of book releases, so who knows? And these are just some of the major ones. I wouldn't recommend any of these. I would not recommend any of these, unless you're looking for Fire Kindle. But even that, don't give them money. These all sell tens of millions of copies. The sad thing is, like that one on the bottom left is like the number one book. It re like, it's very fear-mongering, it's speculative, and it's trying to answer this question that Jesus says, even I don't know when it is. So what are we doing? What are we doing? That's not the point. Jesus knew the church would continue to not only be distracted by this stuff, by speculation, but it would paralyze us with fear. That's why Jesus says it's useless for us to look for signs 
of the end rather than signs of the kingdom here and now. He says, instead, as one writer wrote, he said, today's passage speaks more about the manner of waiting rather than the details of the preparation. Jesus compares the vigilance required of Christians to the vigilance of a homeowner who knows the plans of the thief. If one knows that the thief's action is imminent, one remains watchful. As Christians, we know that our Lord is coming, even if we cannot know the precise timing. Jesus calls us to be watchful and vigilant, like the homeowner. Excuse me. If we become lax in our Christian living, we may be caught unprepared. We may be caught unprepared. Ben Witherington III, he writes, Here, as is always the case, God reveals enough about the future to give us hope. He gives us enough. He gives us enough. We have what we need, but not so much that we do not have to live and walk by faith day after day. Even in my short life, I can't tell us how many times I have been told the end time is near. Sure, it's nearer than it was yesterday, right? And even a moment ago, sure. But I don't need it to grip me with fear. Instead, we're not called to fear the coming of whatever this may look like. Instead, we are called to be faithful in this time, to anticipate God's coming. This is a joyful, hopeful coming. The Advent is not a fearful season, but a season of hope. That things will be put right. That this world will be restored. That God's way will reign. That God is already king and he is becoming king here and now on earth as it is in heaven. Well, hmm. for time's sake, I'm going to skip that illustration. Sorry, I apologize. I'm going to read you two more things. Stanley Saunders, uh, one more gentleman, he writes, The vocation of modern disciples is still to watch for the signs of God's presence and power, especially as revealed through the cross and the resurrection, in healing the sick, standing with the broken and suffering, bringing sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. In the final parable of this sermon, Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man, judge, is present among precisely these. This is where we, too, go to see what God is doing. He's alluding to that passage at the end, the separation of the sheep and the goats, that Jesus points out to them. He tells those who think they are sheep that are goats, if you turn over to 25, verse 31, that all the nations will be gathered before him, And in verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those at the right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer, him, Lord, when was it that we did all this? In verse 38, Jesus responds, or sorry, verse, verse 40, the king, Jesus, he responds, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these 
who are members of my family, you did it to me. But then, on his left hand, he says, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you didn't give me food. I was thirsty, you left me without drink. I was a stranger, and you said, go back. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer me, Lord. Then they will answer, Lord, when was it that we did all this? And again, verse 45, he says, Truly I tell you that as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is what we are invited to see and invited to focus on. To see that these people, people who are least of these amongst us and in our neighborhoods, our communities, our worlds, man, we have the message of hope. We don't have the message of fear. We have a message of hope that this will be made right, that they will be restored, redeemed. There's opportunity that their justice will be made through our God, especially for those who are taken advantage of or downtrodden and are not given opportunity We are invited to hope in this season, not to fear. St. Origen uh, from the 4th century, he writes, All who listen to the depths of the Gospel and live it so completely that none of it remains veiled from them care very little about whether the end of the world will come suddenly and all at once or gradually and little by little. In a certain sense, I love this, the end of the world has already come for the person to whom the world is crucified. He's alluding to Jesus, you know, I'm crucified to the world. And to one who is dead to worldly things, the day of the Lord has already arrived. For the Son of Man comes to the soul of the one who no longer lives for sin or for the world. Advent being the coming of our Lord. Today, this week being hope. We are invited this morning to journey, to begin the journey to the manger, to look back, remember that journey, but then to also anticipate the coming hope again, the kingdom in our midst, to see opportunities where we can love and serve the least of these, see God's perusia already amongst us, His presence already here, an opportunity to join in. But even still, in the middle of that, to reflect on how you, too, how I also am the least of these. That what we are called to do in Matthew 25, what Jesus is warning that we may not do, Jesus already did for us. Do you see yourself in the sick, the naked, the stranger, the hungry? Do you see that He fed you, that He he clothed you, that He welcomed you, that He gave you drink? So remember, reflect, and anticipate. That is our journey today, this week, and as we go forth in the coming weeks of Advent towards Christmastide. Now what's a practice from the way of Jesus that can aid us uh, in, in particular through this Advent season, but this Sunday? Uh, a practice I recommended last year, a practice that is very difficult in this season, 
is retreat. I encourage each of us to try to schedule times of retreat, whether it be an hour, a day, a half a day, something like that. Some of you are like, I'm going to retreat tomorrow, right? Because that's, right, that's a thing tomorrow? Yeah, is that a big, yeah, okay. Um, but a time of being with God. And what that means, retreat from the chaos of the season and the chaos of our souls and everything in between. Make space to enjoy the peace of the season. Now, yes, this could be a trip where you retreat from the complexities of your schedule and your normal life and the noise of it all. And this includes, like, a lot of us are like, let uh, self-care time is kind of a, a popular thing in today's culture, and it's like, yeah, let's just go watch Netflix for five hours. That's not self-care. We all know that that really hurts you. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking, like, real self-care. We're talking retreat and be with your maker. Spend time with him. Try to take a little bit of time. Uh, it could be as simply as a day off, turning your phone off, reading a good book by the fire, listening to, to Christmas carols. Um, retreat the noise, of the, the noise of the season that you may take in the silent night. Retreat from the packed schedules of this season that you may take in and make room in your hearts. As that song says, let every heart prepare him room. And maybe then would we, would there be space and quiet to hear heaven and nature sing. We now have a time to respond uh, to who God is and, and, and what he's done. And I encourage us, like we, we just remember, reflect on what he has done, and anticipate. While we sing a couple songs, I encourage us to uh, enjoy this space, whether you want to just participate in singing or um, I understand it's, it's, a, it's a little difficult. We're not the most reflective culture, not just here, just Western culture. We're not the most sitting and dwelling. That's where retreat is a tricky thing, right? You're like, why would I just go sit like in a quiet space and just be? That sounds uh, nerve-wracking. Sometimes that's the point, um, because your true emotions surface, and then you bring them to God. But no, in this time, I encourage you, don't rush to the song, necessarily. If Don't reject or downplay what the Spirit may be encouraging your heart with in this time. I encourage you, if there's something, if you haven't, or if you need to confess of anything, 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, He who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I encourage you to pray and be assured that you are forgiven. That is the hope of this season. We are forgiven, we're pardoned, and we're freed by the Spirit to live like Jesus and then uh, we have an opportunity to give financially so the mission goes forward here with LifeBridge to sing and to celebrate in a communion-like meal afterwards. Thank you for uh, this morning, and I look forward to journeying Advent with us all together in the coming weeks. I'm going to invite the band up this morning, and then I will pray for us as we transition to a time of response.
Let me pray for us. God of mercy and hope, we pray that in this season we will pay attention. That we will stay vigilant, that we will pay attention and be ready on the lookout, seeing your presence in our midst. Seeing your grace, your advent having already come, and seeing ways it, it is unfolding and how we can be a part of that in joy. We bring, uh, as we pass the offering baskets around, we bring these gifts this morning as we prepare lives for the gift of the Christ child in Jesus this season. We come reflecting on his past coming to a poor family of refugees, born as they spent the night uh, houseless. We know there are gifts to come, although we don't know when Jesus will return. And so we live in that hope. As we dedicate this giving and our offerings to you, not just monetarily, but our lives, we long for Jesus to be born in our hearts again this year and in this holy season. In the name of the one who came to save us, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly in person within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.